NLP, or Natural Language Processing, has gained a lot of traction in terms of search volumes online and in terms of traffic uh, to our website at techemergence.com. Because of the influx of so many open source tools and interesting companies in this space, uh, there's a lot more people trying to figure out how can we extract value from understanding uh, the flow of text within our own business. Uh, And when it comes to real business value from listening to the customer, from the voice of the customer, there's some interesting trends and patterns that some folks might be familiar with. The idea of sentiment analysis is reasonably familiar to most people who've looked at AI and business, being able to determine the positive or negative or maybe even more detailed uh, emotional reading of what a particular sentence or statement might mean. But there's a lot more than that in terms of business applications. Uh, this week, we speak with Catherine Havasi of Luminoso, which is a Boston-based company. Catherine was at the MIT Media Lab studying AI Uh, before it was cool, so to speak, uh, and has been in this for quite some time, and focuses on applying uh, natural language processing to understanding the voice of the customer. We talk about two big and important facets of NLP, or capabilities of NLP, that Catherine's company focuses on, one of which is making the anecdotal quantifiable. In other words, how do we take the big pattern and wave of information, maybe it's data about complaints, maybe it's social media mentions, maybe it's reviews on a given website like Amazon or Yelp or something like this, and instead of anecdotally flipping through a hundred tickets and determining sort of what do the patterns seem to be, how can we really get a readout on those? And how can we find new patterns, new terms that might deserve their own names to be able to determine the most common complaints or most common uh, compliments uh, that might be coming in through a particular channel? And we also speak about uh, making trends visible. In other words, not just getting a snapshot on NLP data, what's happening now, what are people complaining about, what are people saying now in a certain geo region or about a certain product, but how has that changed over time? Ultimately, if you're using a tool uh, that involves NLP, you'd hope that by putting the right steps in place, you'd be able to see those trends change. If you're a hospital and you get a lot of complaints about your bathrooms, you'd hope that if you implemented a new procedure to clean them or keep them more up to date, uh, that you would see those complaints go down. Same thing if you're a hotel chain. Uh, What does that look like in other business use cases and where has Luminoso seen that technology drive real value in terms of understanding NLP trends. Certainly an interesting and in-depth episode. Uh, You can see the full article on techemergence.com. We've done actually quite a lengthy piece uh, on this particular topic with uh, a lot of the quotes and insights from Catherine and some of the case studies from their business, Luminoso. That's over at techemergence.com. But without further ado, we'll dive into the episode. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and let's get started. So Catherine, uh, I figure where we would start off here is talking about uh, a concept that I've talked about with one of your other team members, which is making the anecdotal quantifiable. A lot of the work in NLP that you folks are doing on kind of the customer service side or maybe even the marketing side is about kind of taking happenstance that will flitter its way through these communication channels and making it into something measurable. What are maybe a couple good examples of that? And then we can go into rules of thumb for making it valuable. Sure, absolutely. I think one of the big things here is really being able to take what people are saying and sort of find the nuance in it. And that's really exciting. A lot of text analytics techniques previously have really focused on building a lot in in the beginning. So building ontologies, building rules, or requiring a lot of data to start with. And both of those techniques really don't get you the little interesting nuances that can really be huge jumps forward. I think with 
with us, one of the big exciting things is that you don't have to write those ontologies and you don't have to write those rules. And I can get into a high level of why that's true if you're interested. And we don't need all that data, but that really allows you to get some of the some of the nuance. So the places we really see this being interesting are really around voice of the customer. And the idea that you can say, take a look at the data that's coming in uh, across different channels, really omni-channel data, and try to identify positive and negative drivers that are having impacts on KPIs that matter to your business or that are driving particular adoption of particular facets or features of a product. Uh, the cool thing about this is there's really been a trend in customer voice of the customer around voice of the employee. And I think this is really important, um, especially in a lot of service industries and things like that, and a lot of high-tech industries. Employees are really important. Uh, in certain industries, employees are the face of the company. And so yeah, yeah. customer services, yep, exactly, is, is, <laughs> is this kind of stuff. And there's been tremendous uh, research done on a lot of different places about how increasing employee satisfaction increases customer satisfaction, especially in uh, you know places where employees directly interact with customers. On the flip side of that, voice of the employee is super important for companies that have I guess the right way of putting this is technology, right? Any company that has a high churn cost for employees, right? Yeah. If, if people leave, it's a problem that really becomes, that becomes an issue. So those are two places that we really see that. And to some degree, it's almost like customer service is, is sort of a gateway for using NLP or AI mm-hmm. in a business, right? One of the things that we really see is that when you make measurable impacts against KPIs in voice of the customer, uh, you can kind of get through all of, the fear of hype around AI, right? If a company is looking to start working in AI and doesn't really know where to start, uh, voice of the customer is a great place to start once you're doing it right because you can get real impact and you don't have to explain a lot about what's going on or why things are possible or things like that. You can just get results uh, that allow you to get more AI buy-in throughout an organization. We've seen that happen a couple of places. It's really a good place to start. Yeah, it makes makes sense to some degree too, Catherine, because it's like, you know, if you're if you're a bank, you know, there's some robust white collar automation process or fraud detection process that involves like hooking into an incredible amount of systems and dealing with an incredible amount of regulation and whatnot. But there there's other applications where so long as we can get access to the streams of customer messaging and maybe put those in some kind of a format to make sense of them, you know, we might not have to redo all the pipes and chutes and ladders in order to still apply AI. Uh, while, while in some areas, obviously, the, the overhaul would be much more robust. Is that safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things about voice of the customer is it does have potential as well with, with regards to some of this regulatory stuff for industries like financial services. Uh, more and more, we're seeing these things um, become something that's regulated. In a lot of markets right now, complaints processing is something that is a compliance issue as much as it is not a compliance issue, right? Um, and and so we're seeing a world where customer service becomes compliance. It's really interesting. Huh. I, well, and maybe we could poke into a couple examples of this anecdotal into quantifiable and just to kind of put some color on it for the folks tuned in who don't live in this space. You know, the the examples that come to my mind would be, you know, okay, I run a hotel chain and I want to see what people are complaining about. Or, you know, I run a a car parts company and I want to see when people are, or maybe a car company, and I I want to see when people are complaining about different makes and models and for what reasons and um, those kind of things. That's kind of making anecdotal quantifiable. You had mentioned 
and, and this is what I actually wanted to touch on, you had mentioned that you want to find those things that kind of lead to important business KPIs, you know, adoption of a product or behaviors in some way. That really seems to be the, the sauce here is figuring out, okay, we can make the anecdotal quantifiable. Where do we start? You know, if you were to put a pistol to my head and make me guess, I would say, well, I guess I would think about what customer feedback feeds into my most important financial metrics and then yep. I would kind of start there. Is there a more orchestrated or well thought out way of kind of pointing this insight cannon at a business? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's really important is every business has a lot of different KPIs or uh, places where they want to spend or, or control their spend. And, and really looking at those things and saying, what data do we have that aligns with those is really a great place to start. I'll give a couple of examples. Uh, working with a large consumer electronics manufacturer. So this is a really extremely competitive market. If you're going out to buy a TV, uh, there's all kinds of features. Most people who are buying in this market haven't bought in this market for a little bit of time. And so they really are out there trying to understand what all these new buzzwords mean, things like that. And the question can be for a manufacturer, you know, what what's mattering? Uh, what works, what doesn't, and where should we put more money, right? So if you're we're working with a customer, a large customer, that wanted to take a, a large number of reviews uh, about televisions and really try to understand what makes them stand out in the minds of different types of consumers and really understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. And being able to work with that kind of stuff really gave them results. It really increased the number of TVs they sold. But interestingly enough, it allowed them to focus their research and engineering spend towards the types of features that really resonated with the customers. You know, if you go to someplace like CES, you can get a really a lot of feedback about, oh, this is shiny. Oh, this is new. Oh, yep. we're going to add more Ks to this. And the industry can get really into the industry, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. TVs, right? And so if you go out there and you say, okay, I can actually sort of align what's going on in, in, in the unstructured data with what's driving sentiment, what's driving these KPIs and saying these things really matter. To flip this outside of television, a really interesting place where the same thing is happening is, is voice of the employee. And we talked about that a little bit earlier. And yeah. I think it's really cool because every time you're looking at sort of employee churn feedback, you'll find a lot of funny anecdotes. I'm going to give a couple quick ones before giving Go a for it. Go for it. Uh, my favorite one is out of a, a telecom company out in the UK that basically did an employee survey, looked at what all the loudest, <laughs> all the loudest problems were, you know, yep. and they're all tiny, tiny things. And they're like, that's great. We'll fix all of them. And they fixed all of them and nothing happened. Right. And so, so the question is at that point, you really have to say, let's not just look at frequency in text. Let's look at the text and the concepts in the text and how they align with uh, metrics that matter. Right. And at that point in time, you can find that things like food quality and other sorts of things don't necessarily align with why people are leaving. Everybody complains about it, but nobody does anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and some of that happens in tech in ways that are, are really interesting. You know, I think culture is one of those things that is incredibly important in tech, but there are also definitely tech companies where people like to complain about the culture. And if you do the, if you do the analysis, they found that, you know, complaining about the culture actually makes people stay. It's that's not what's driving people away. People love to be there complaining. You know, I went to MIT, so I know all about this phenomena, uh, where other people like to, there, there's a social thing about complaining. So it's, these are things you need to understand if you're a company. Huh. Uh, and so knowing, knowing how to coax out those real factors, this is interesting. And again, obviously in, in the tech field where you're paying people, 
big deal, yeah. six figure salaries <laughs> off the off the cuff. Uh, you know, understanding these things in nuance makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, what we're talking about here, I guess, would be determining maybe the patterns of communication, behavior, words, sentiments that actually lead to legit churn or reduced performance versus the ones that kind of look like they might be mad, but actually really never end up turning into a financial mishap. Right, right. And I mean, I think my one of my favorite ones of these is, is actually just looking at reviews of a uh, consumer electronics product. And if you they made a lot of interesting decisions when they shipped this product. Um, you know, the way the product connected uh, to the to power was very strange. Um, you know, I'm, I think about this as I get my new computer here that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. USB-C. Um, but, you know, it was very strange and everybody was complaining about that. And so if you look at that and you say, okay, that's a really interesting, there's a, you need some advanced NLP to understand that. You need something that can go in and say, there are a billion ways to talk about the connector that connects the computer to the wall. There's, you know, the wall wart, the plug, the adapter, the, the, I don't even know what you want to call all these things, right? You know, the cord, there's a lot of things. So there's stuff that you, you could program at ahead of time. And then there's a lot of things that people, uh, that the computer system needs to learn automatically to say, oh, these are other synonyms. So you don't want to be able to have something that has to just list them out. And even though you can quantify that, you have to align it with something actionable. And you have to say, well, are there other things in here that are really driving dissatisfaction? It turns out in this particular product, there was a bigger problem, which was that this product connected to an app store. And you could buy the product with a foreign credit card, but you couldn't buy anything in the app store with the credit card that you bought the product with. And they would let you do that. Uh, So yeah, their biggest driver of returns was the issue that you couldn't use the app store after you bought the product. So there are people who are complaining about this all over from places like South America and Japan and France. And they're like, what is with this licensing restriction issue? This is a big deal. And they'd return it. And this was falling under all the radar because there was no set way of describing that. And, and so much. Uh, analy- okay. Yeah. It, it wasn't, was like- it wasn't an existing filter is what you're saying. Right. You, you needed something that was going to go out there and learn about this and say, look, there isn't a set of six keywords that describes this problem. It's a much more sort of effuse problem, right? It's a much yeah. more hard to put your hand on it. And that's really interesting. And that's what modern NLP lets you do. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two sides of this coin then, uh, you know, in terms of the value for this, uh, making the anecdotal quantifiable, we'll, we'll get into kind of analyzing trends as well. Cause I know that's part of the, uh, the uniqueness here, but one, one aspect of this is knowing sort of what your financial levers are already, where you kind of point the insight cannon at what you know to be the things you need to learn in order to improve things. So for, for televisions, you know, what are the features that encourage people to buy and love the product versus what are the features that we thought were super cool at CES? Um, and, and that's obviously, you know, you have a lot of engineers working, you might as well understand what gets people to love your damn product when it sits in their house for two years, as opposed to, or what gets them to buy it as opposed to what really feels like it could be the sweetest new feature. Um, and so that, that, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like, you know, as a TV company, I would have that idea and I would get into NLP for that reason. There's other cases where, you know, where, where what you're getting at is that you would kind of discover wholeheartedly new areas of relevance that you weren't aware of, uh, in some sense. And it's interesting because it, they feel so, so very different, um, in terms of use cases, but it seems like you might get into NLP for both reasons. Yeah. My actual favorite story on the second one is, 
uh, we are working with a Japanese automotive manufacturer. Now, perhaps the one of the most useful and least exciting, um, I think it's perfectly exciting, but you know, if you're going out there and you're saying, what are we doing with AI? We're optimizing and automating customer service workflows. That's great. You could actually save incredible amounts of money doing this. It's Heck really yeah. And it's great. Um, so what they're doing is they had come in and they had started working with us to say, look, this is how we bucket and how we workflow our, our different issues that are coming in here. Uh, we want to redesign that and make more automated how we move tickets around. And this is an entire line of what we do, right, uh, which is being able to optimize and automate ticketing, that kind of stuff. And so along the way, this car company, like everybody else, has this other bucket, right? And the other bucket is where everything goes that's a real problem or to goes to die or where all the people who are a little bit nuts um, who wants you to have, I don't know, uh, ridiculous new flavors of product uh, where their stuff goes and, and, and you're glad it goes there and you never have to deal with it again, right? And so when they're doing this, one of the things that, that happens automatically is it looks at the other bucket and says, how can we break this out? What needs to be in the workflow? Huh. And they found something really interesting or, or the computer found something really interesting is, this is one of my favorite stories, they found a group of people who are talking about bad smells in a particular model of car. And so people would say, my car would go into their service center and say, my car smells like I own a dog, but I don't own a dog and things like that. And this would be something that, that service centers would write up and say, we had this interaction with a customer. That customer is weird. We're sorry, but we have to submit here. But these were happening all over. And so the computer said, look, there's a pattern here. And it wasn't that people were were using a predictable list of, of words to say the bad smell. And the computer said, look, the pattern is very related to this other pattern, which is that people come in and say that there's dew on the windows of their car in the morning. And if you put those two things together, you realize that there's some kind of mold or mildew issue oh. in the vehicle. Uh, and so people will say there's water in the car, there's dew in the car. And other people will say, oh, it smells like a dog. And the computer will, will use its common sense NLP and put those things together and say, hey, uh, dogs can kind of smell a little bit like musty. Or places where dogs have been a lot can smell like they're musty. And, and so you end up with this, this bucket that they found that they weren't looking for at all. They were looking to automate and optimize, right? And they found this problem that was that there's a musty problem in some of their cars. And they looked and, and the air conditioning hose is coming undone in the bottom of the car. And so water is getting out of the air conditioning system into underneath the dashboard and it started growing mold. Whoa. Uh, so none of these customers were nuts. There was actually something wrong with their car. And so they you don't recall cars over this. You send out what's called like a dealership memo, which says the next time somebody comes in with this model of car, please fix this problem for them. And and that's what ended up happening here. But it wasn't at all what they were looking for, right? They had come in and looking for, you know, if here's how one of the big things they were looking for initially was finding out things like here's the type of words that somebody who actually knows this kind of problem with the with the power steering, what words they actually use. And here are words and concepts that are used when somebody thinks this is the problem with the power steering, but it's actually a problem with a different part of the car. And so they were doing all that kind of stuff. And in the meantime, they found, hey, there's there's something big wrong with this model of car. Interesting. So here here's my takeaway. And Catherine, tell me if this is the right this is the right lesson to be gleaned, because that 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 is a pretty humorous example all in all. Uh, and, and obviously a very useful one. It seems to me like, you know, the, the, the continuum here is that sometimes you would know what category of answers you need to make better financial decisions. And other times 
you know what areas you need to listen to that will affect your finances enough to want to listen better. And it seems like, again, some of the sometimes you come in with a much more narrow need. Sometimes it makes sense to maybe tune into a whole space because this is what's really going to hit you in the bank account. And and kind of the dog thing is a little bit more on the ladder, right? Nobody said, you know, we want olfactory problems, right? Nobody said that. Right. It just kind of happened to be. Is, is that is that a possible takeaway here? I'm trying to nutshell uh, yeah, the, the dimensions. I definitely say that. But I think one of the things that I would definitely say is a takeaway is that you can basically do all this summarizing top topics and trends and all this kind of stuff instead of as part of your normal process, right? It's not something where you have to do it once and then leave it. It's something that you can continue to do uh, and can continue to have it affect your, your, the way you run your business. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, not, not like a one-off project. Obviously the goal is to have this be part of the loop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And that's what we're going to actually get into next. So thanks for uh, the the nice lead in there. The question that uh, I thought would be interesting to explore uh, after that is looking at trends. So yes, over time is kind of where a lot of the value is here. I mean, if, if, if all of a sudden a, a big bank that has nothing more than an anecdotal sampling of customer service, you know, tickets and stuff, or like really kind of non-insightful, quantifiable things. If, if they all of a sudden had a nice big flash of much more rich insight into those customers, that would be pretty darn valuable. More valuable than that would be understanding what yep. problems or benefits or whatnot were improving or, or, or getting worse uh, so that they could actually kind of determine the direction and, and better get a sense of priorities, right? Uh, trends over time is going to help you allocate your resources to make better priority decisions. Where does kind of the visualization of trends uh, happen to matter most in business if you have any kind of rules of thumb about where to tune in for that? Yeah, I mean, again, I always think the customer experience is really the right way to right place to start. And one of those things are is really understanding how the initiatives that you have are affecting your results, right? And so this is everything from, you know, a lot of a lot of us out here are really interested in in getting our NPS score, for example, to be someplace that it isn't. And I think that's something that uh, you know, we've we've seen so much that as consumers have more and more choice at the market, uh, consumer satisfaction is really driving something one way or the other. How can we see all the changes we're making, all the initiatives we're making, everything we're doing with our employees, with in in our store? How does that affect things, and how does that how do those changes percolate through? And I think that becomes really important, you know. And uh, it's really about finding the biggest friction points in the customer journey and seeing how when you address those friction points, how they move around, how you can keep an eye on really difficult spots. And that's not just for the customer service side of the equation, but you can also apply some of that to when you're bringing new customers on board and when you're working with, you know, potential clients. I think one of the interesting things to just give a very concrete example in e-commerce here and in com not e-commerce, sorry, physical commerce and e-commerce, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my, brain, my brain says e-commerce all the time because I, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. That's a, this is a millennial thing. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> But you know, in 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 retail. Like, yeah, um, there we go. Now we're not offending anybody. There's a nice word. Yes, Good in call. retail. Yep. Uh, really, what you want to be doing is you want to be understanding how what your customers run into, how the conversations they're having affect decisions, right? And so we've even seen companies that have set up a process where, for high ticket 
big ticket items. We're ending up with customers um, either looking at the chats that they're having or looking at the conversations they're having in store for really big items when they're thinking about buying an item. Can we see the outcome of that? And can we see what types of conversations they had with an agent along the way that either drove or didn't drive that? And in some of these situations, they're setting up something where in the morning at the store, everybody gets together and they said, hey, this last week we learned that if you talk about this particular thing uh, with potential customers, they're more likely to buy. And if you bring up this particular feature, uh, maybe they're less likely to buy. Let's try doing that differently this week and see what comes out. So it's, it's all about trends. It's all about sort of a feedback loop. And it becomes part of your business thinking. It becomes part of your process. And the same can be done on the other side. If you think about it, you know, what kinds of things are driving churn? Uh, churn is a huge problem everywhere. What can we see that's driving churn? And how can we monitor initiatives that we take and how they affect in very real time? And that can be, you know, as I said, weekly, it can be it can be really in real time. We're working with a large mobile software manufacturer. And one of the interesting things that they have to deal with is they roll out, they're, they're agile, right? So they roll out every, every two weeks, they roll out a new update. And um, you know, again, we're doing sort of the optimization and routing sorts of things with them. We can tell, uh, you know, whether or not somebody should be sent to self help, uh, which is, uh, which is very important. You know, there's this big thing about chatbots, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But in reality, in reality, a big thing here, chatbots maybe aren't at the same place that in, in, in NLP and in AI that much of the rest of AI is. Chatbots are still pretty much in their infancy. Right. And so if you can just say, hey, this person needs to reset their password, why don't I just send them to the web page where they reset their password and, and skip the chatbot? Right. Then you get a lot fewer confused people. And and so I think that self-help becomes very important as the number of, frankly, calls to customer support just increases. Yep. So after you get all the routing together, one of the things that they need to understand and they need to do is what updates do we have to the system that didn't work? And that's something where you can monitor bugs over time. You can monitor bugs over time when it's a, a series of hours, right? As the software sort of rolls out and people wake up in different places and they pick up their phone, they're like, hey, my app doesn't work anymore, right? So you can be able to prioritize where you're putting development effort to the bugs that are driving additional um, expenditures on your customer service side uh, to try to drive your own cost down. And that becomes really interesting. Let me let me see if uh, I can paint a mental picture of this for the folks tuned in. My guess is, Catherine, that there is if if you want to discern trends, there's probably a way that you would go about it. Maybe in some cases you just outright know. Okay, I'm a bank. People have these kinds of issues with my online banking things and these kinds of customer service complaints. Generally, uh, I, I'd like to kind of map the ups and downs and frequencies and be able to slice that by geo region and, and have like a dashboard that can show me that stuff. Sometimes someone will come in with some relatively defined need for trend visualization. Other times it'll be things that they hadn't thought about that they'll notice come up and they'll, they'll notice change. And then they'll, they'll maybe want to build that, you know, for lack of a better term, that dashboard after the fact, after realizing, oh my goodness, this is a whole category of stuff that's fluctuating. We have to have a handle of this. We need to be able to see this. Um, my guess is it kind of sometimes happens one way, sometimes happens the other, but that in, in either case, there's probably got to be, there's got to be some way to access this outside of just pure kind of spreadsheet land to, to kind of get a sense of what's going up and and what's going down is, is there kind of a, a phase of the thought process where people think about what they want visualized and how it, that, that seems really critical here with all these data points. 
I mean, in general, in analytics, we're seeing that change happen, and it's really interesting. So at first, analytics was really done by sort of data scientists, and, and then there were citizen data scientists, because frankly, there's every, every one of us is dealing with the issue around talent and data, right? You're not going to oh, yeah. hire a whole department full of data scientists, so you train your people to, to act like data scientists. And now we're seeing analytics and, and AI really push through that boundary and be something that becomes part of everyday life, right? And that you don't need to be a data scientist to use it. You don't need to be data scientist to work with it. And it's working its way into sort of the business parts of the organization. Yeah. You know, I think when AI really succeeds, it's when AI becomes part of a workflow, becomes part of the fabric of how something works. So it's not like you have AI added onto your Excel to use your spreadsheet example. It's it's like of course you would have AI in your spreadsheet. Why would you have not have AI in your spreadsheet? It becomes part of something. It's not like, oh, this company has AI-enabled customer service. It's just this company does good customer service. Of so, course. It's like the internet, right? It's like, I have an internet company. It's like, you're a yes. moron. Like, the internet is a thing. Like, of course you have the internet. You know, like, AI feels like the internet in 1996, but of course the future will, exactly. you know, crush down upon us as it has in the past, and it will be imbued into you know, IT writ large. And, uh, you know, obviously you guys are in line with that. And I think people need to understand that we're listening in. This is not a an extra Lego piece that gives you special powers. This is kind of an inevitable trend. Uh, but that, that point that you made, though, Catherine, I think is one that a lot of people are interested in. In other words, being able to make AI accessible through interfaces, you guys have to have learned some lessons there, you know, the easy way and the hard way. I know a lot of other companies have. There is still a lot of wizard skills to some degree in some AI applications and setups and, and whatnot. You know, I, I imagine uh, the goal on, on your end is probably, as, as well as probably everybody banging away in this space, is to make as many of these things feel like Excel as they can. You know, in other words, where, where the functionality happens, right? You know, easier than Excel, frankly. I think that there's really two things that are a bunch of things that are happening that are sort of changing that, right? I think that there's this fear and there's this perception that you have to take months and months and months to set up and train these systems. And that's not what's happening anymore. I mean, it's really those kinds of things that you can actually deploy in minutes. And and occasionally that's that's really shocking. And I think that that's going to become very important across, this is not just text analytics, this is everywhere. You know, I know we're doing this now and that that for us, you know, that's, that's something that's really been a core to what we're doing. But AI as a whole has got to move away from this, we're going to take a year to set this up and then and then see what happens. Yeah, sort of yeah. And I think there are two big things that really sort of push that forward to not be technical at all here. Uh, there are two big ideas, one of which is, you know, not having to meticulously train, build these training sets and groom them and have, you know, the kind of data Google has, right? And in some way, it's about democratizing AI for the enterprise, right? You can't build technology that requires you to have a Google-sized amount of data. No, <laughs> you know? no. No company has that, right? And and so you end up with these things that say, it's, keep using this product. If you keep using this product, soon it will have enough data to do its fancy magic, right? Yeah. going to work for people. And in the future, that really is something people have to move away from. We're... AI as a market is developing this this great thing called transfer learning, uh, which is something we use that basically allows you to move a, a model into a domain without that much data in a way that doesn't require experts. And so that really opens things up to to being used in, in different places. 
Uh, on the flip side of that, um, I think there's been this this motion recently to what I said, what I called common sense AI, and I won't get into the technical stuff uh, here, but it's about you know adding knowledge ahead of time into these models so that they don't have to learn everything just by reading a ton of data, right? That they know some stuff ahead of time, and that's something that we've seen make impact everywhere from game playing to you know warehouse robotics, right? It's not just language; these are things that are coming forward to really simplify the way AI is used in the enterprise. Um, it's something we're very into, and it's also something that I think is very important. I think if you're in AI, you know, and you run a darn business, you, you kind of have to be into it. I mean, number one, like you said, I mean, you, you can't have a black box of wizard skills be the, the like, first barrier to entry. You know, getting that down is a big deal for growing a company uh, and, and making these things accessible. But clearly also that's that's kind of the promise of the AI business model to some degree is that if you can sort of work with enough companies and build a big enough corpus as a vendor, then you can go into the smaller folks and not have to have them work with it for three years to get benefit. There can be that immediate you know, transfer, uh, for lack of better terms, of all the other customers that are like them that have been able to pick up on these trends and that that stuff can, can sort of apply. So I, I think... Many people are excited about that. You know, venture capitalists are excited about that and talk about that uh, incessantly, uh, at least in our interviews. And and also, uh, I'm sure you've had a little bit of experience there. Uh, and 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 also, I think um, smaller and mid-sized businesses are excited about that because that means that they don't need Google-sized data. If somebody really gobbles a lot of the the data space of a certain domain, they can just ride that. They can ride it right away. Um, and I think. To be yeah. of a domain, right? I mean, you can just learn a lot about how language works as a whole, right? And and so much of the way people learn, the way people think is based on, you know, just our everyday understanding. A person coming out of college is picks things up really fast. If you can use machine learning to, to move that process forward, you can do that. And then you don't have to worry about things like data pooling and, and uh, I don't know, GDPR and every other privacy thing that you would get if you were trying to combine together everybody's data in a particular vertical. It would be very hard. Yeah, I think, well, there's some promise in like if you if you deal with customer service and you work with one auto body shop, uh, there is a quantifiable difference probably in working with 500 of them in terms of, you know, understanding some knowledge there. But yes, certainly there's probably broader transferable stuff across language in general. And, and of course, that would be a cool place to start to have the ability to go wherever you want. And there's clearly a value prop in that. Uh, and, and I guess where we're going is kind of my last question, Catherine, as, as we wrap up, is, you know, you've been running this business for quite some time and have been into AI uh, since, you know, I use this a lot, but since before it was cool, let's just say that, yeah. <laughs> um, way before it was cool. So given that, you're getting, you know, you've you've seen way up close and personal where NLP and, and let's just use the voice of the customer angle, which is such a big thing for Luminoso. You've been able to see where that has found a home in business and where it's increasingly finding a home in business. I often ask technical experts who are also executives like yourself to say, you know, when you look forward into the future of your industry or your your kind of application, where do you see what what sorts of business, what kinds of common traits? Do businesses have where this stuff becomes inevitable? So, for example, you know, if we talk about AI for programmatic advertising, you know, e-commerce is slightly more likely than I don't know, like uh, some some other random industry than right. uh, for for applying that, right? And in your in your opinion, are there commonalities of the kinds of businesses that you think are just gonna gonna really have to adopt this in the next half a decade 
Um, and, and if so, what are those? I'm very, very curious. I'm sure the audience is too. I think anything digital, right? Anything within the spectrum of mobile, of digital. So that's retail and all retail is becoming both physical and digital. Um, anything in what we call TME, so technology, media, entertainment, anything in software and anything in hardware. Really, those areas are really going to have to be paying attention to this because everything in their verticals evolves so quickly that that having a human in the loop is, is really going to become impractical, right? People are so conversational uh, and everything's moving very quickly that the only way to scale these things into the future is really to be using natural language understanding. Yeah. Okay. So essentially folks who are collecting, you know, I mean, this is about as broad as it gets and, and kind of makes sense. Folks who are collecting, you know, voice of a customer language through the, the more digital channels that they're sucking that stuff up for, the, the more literally inevitable it is that some degree of this kind of meta listening, this kind of meta pattern determination is, is going to basically be a required part of business. Is that a, a way to kind of tuck this into a nutshell? Yeah. yeah. And also anywhere where uh, the language of your business is changing very quickly. So ah. where, where we're talking about an agile development cycle, we're talking about many different deploys in a crowded market. Those are going to be really important. Yeah, or, or maybe technical fields that are changing very quickly to some degree where the, the product complaints aren't going to be the same ones they were even a year ago. Maybe they're, they're, it's got wholly new products, wholly new issues, uh, wholly new emojis that people have to listen to. I know you guys are working on that, which was yep. a, cool, a cool article there. I'll reference that somewhere. That was a cool one. Um, so that kind of like the alteration of how are we receiving this and what are people even talking about? I guess the faster that that's changing, probably the harder and harder it gets to have a human put them into columns and look at them every week and, and say, hey, we have a real good sense of this. Right. Or the harder it is to come up with something that's that's one of these older legacy systems that just has pre-made routing tables and pre-made, yep. right, because because those are going to get out of date faster than you make them. Yeah. Yeah. Like like week over week, month over month in, in rapid succession. So cool. So folks who are tuned in who are drinking in tremendous volumes of kind of digital customer voice through, through channels that are changing and about topics and products that are changing. Uh, these are factors that are kind of inching you closer and closer to really requiring something, you know, beyond uh, human listening, so to speak, to, to make sense of it. Sounds like that's a way to tuck, tuck this away here. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, Catherine, that's, that's all that I had. Uh, I'm glad we got to really rip through those three topics and, and thanks a ton for being able to share some of your insights on NLP with us here. Thanks very much. That was a lot of fun. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, 
and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.